You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. I am so excited because in today's episode, I'm having a conversation with a woman who truly and quite literally defines what it means to go from simply surviving to thriving, Dana Donifrey. Dana was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2010 at the age of 27, only a few days before her wedding. After a bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction, her own bras no longer fit and were painful to wear, so she saw a need to create lingerie that was made to fit her new body comfortably and beautifully. I won't steal all of Dana's thunder, but let's just say that she took all of her pain, plus her fashion design degree and 15 plus years of experience in the fashion industry, and turned it into something to help other breast cancer survivors thrive in their new bodies too, through her company, Ana Ono. She's super active in the breast cancer and fashion community, she's showed at New York Fashion Week for three consecutive years, is involved with several nonprofits, including Living Beyond Breast Cancer, whom you might recognize if you read my blog, Coming Up Roses, in October, and she's been featured on so many incredible platforms like USA Today, The Today Show, The New York Times, and many more. Dana is like a living embodiment of Thrive, so I am so thrilled to have you hear her story and be inspired by her today. Be sure to stay tuned through this episode, drop us your thoughts on social media, and without further ado, welcome Dana. Thank you for having me. This is amazing. Thank you. (laughs) So I want to just jump right in and give us the backstory of you. I know so often your story surrounds your survival of a diagnosis but where were you before breast cancer? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's really interesting because now I'm, I'm looking at, you know, hopefully achieving 10 years in February from my diagnosis. And uh, it, it does leave me kind of searching for my new starting place. And um, I, I think what's really interesting is that, you know, before breast cancer, I was like your typical go-getter, you know, mid-20s fashion industry uh, designer and uh, project manager. And, and I was just, you know, I was kind of going through the motions. I got engaged. Um, we moved into our condo together. I had a new car. I had a great job. You know, it was kind of all those things that you kind of expect to start achieving once you start your life in your 20s. And, and I felt like I was doing all of them. And then cancer happened. Ugh, cancer happened. That's like such a, such a deep, intense thing but what kind of walk us through what that was like for you as a 27 year old soon to be newlywed totally killing it killing it in life to be given a cancer diagnosis i mean this was probably this was not probably this was nothing that you would have expected so what what was that like for you when you first were handed that and what what was going through your mind 
Yeah, I mean, it was a complete shock. I mean, we had, my mom's sister had breast cancer when she was in her 30s, but, and that was now, you know, 40 years ago. So she was also a young woman she, when she was diagnosed. But it wasn't like we were, like, growing up in a family where, like, grandma had breast cancer and mom had breast cancer and mom's sister had breast cancer and great aunt had breast cancer. And so it wasn't, like, anything that I was thinking of or even aware of, to be completely honest. I mean, it was, like, something I thought, like, happened to, like, my mom or my mom's, you know, my grandma. Um, it wasn't something I thought happened to a 27 year old woman. Um, so when I accidentally found a lump in the shower, I never dreamed it was going to be breast cancer. I mean, like that thought kind of like might've like whisked through my mind, but it wasn't like, Oh my God, I found a lump. I must have breast cancer. It was like, Oh, I found the lump. Like I should do what everybody tells you to do and, and go to the doctor. Um, so I felt I was kind of just going through the motions, not that I was actually really worried or concerned about anything. So then when they told you, actually, you should be worried, this is cancer. What, what was that like? Because correct me if I'm wrong, it was stage one. I, I got diagnosed with uh, stage one. Um, it's called infiltrative ductal carcinoma or invasive ductal carcinoma. And that means it's, it's heading into your, um, your milk ducts and it's, it's due to travel. Um, and uh, I, I received the HER2 diagnosis, which is one of the most aggressive forms of breast cancer. Um, thankfully, now we have a really fantastic drug that, that treats it. Um, but yeah, I mean, when, when my doctor called me and told me I had cancer, I mean, it was just an utter absolute shock and, and everything in my world stopped spinning in that moment. It was just, you know, I thought life was over. So then what happened? What happened then? Did you talk to your soon to be husband first because your wedding was right around the corner? So what was running through your head there with, okay, you've got this, this life altering diagnosis for yourself personally and your career. And then you also have your wedding and your fiance and then the rest of your family. Like, what was, were you thinking in that moment, okay, I'm going to get through this. This is no big deal. Or were you thinking I'm going to die? Because I mean, I think, I feel like if it were me, I would probably jump worst case scenario and think that's it. My life is over. I'm done. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you do. I mean, the, the, the kicker to all of this, which is the good and the bad is I was in Ohio where I grew up and I was out shopping with my mom and my soon to be mother-in-law for my honeymoon. And we were like looking for like, you know, fun dresses. We were going to Mexico. I was such a New Yorker. I don't think I owned anything outside of the color range of black. <laughs> and I figured that wasn't going to do really well on the beach of Mexico. You know, this amazing honeymoon. I wanted to be this blossoming bride and, you know, do all of those things that a young bride thinks to do. And, um, I mean, several things happened in that moment. My, my mom was such a rock. I, my doctor called me and told me I had cancer and I didn't hear anything else. Like I heard cancer. I heard invasive. I heard aggressive. I heard you have to call your doctor immediately. Like I heard like all of the worst things that you can hear in that conversation. And then my mom, you know, takes out her little notepad and is like, wait, but what did they say? Like, what are we supposed to do next? Like, where are we supposed to go? And so thankfully she was there and she was my rock and she was able to call the doctor back and actually like hear sanity, not like the insanity that I was dealing with. And, um, and the first thing I said was, you know, I looked over to my mom and my future mother-in-law and I said, well, I said, it looks like we can put all these clothes away. Cause I don't think I'm going to have a honeymoon. Mm. And like all of that came because yeah, like I thought it was over. So I call my fiance who's in Colorado at the time, because this was just the, the girl's bridal shower in Ohio. And, you know, of course I had to tell him, I'm like, 
I have breast cancer and like, we're totally shocked. And, you know, it didn't probably come out of my mouth that day, but was my expectation that like the wedding would be off, you know, like there was no reason, like, why are you going to sign up for this when like you haven't even had to sign up for this yet? So I really, I really thought it was over. I thought everything was over. And that was probably a really pivotal time in your relationship too, for your fiance to you. I mean, it sounds like you went into it thinking he's going to dump me. Like we're either I'm going to die or I'm going to get dumped. And that's going to be the end of this. Right. This is all you got. You're, you're dead. The wedding's off. You're, you're dumped. Like what's going to happen? But it is true. Like I really thought that that's what was going to happen. And, and I felt like, you know, this cancer is not easy on any relationship. It's not easy on a young relationship. It's not easy on an old relationship. It's not easy on you. It's not easy on your partner. It's such a difficult, complex thing that nobody warned you about it. You know, nobody gave my husband support during all of this, my fiance support. Um, I was barely getting the support I needed. Um, so we weren't going through therapy or any of the things that we probably should have done. And, you know, I, I kind of figured in one way, I, I did give a, I, I kind of gave him the get out of jail free card and he didn't take it, which was really nice and sweet of him. Told me I was crazy. And if I ever said it again, he would like maybe hit me. He's not an abusive man by any stretch of the imagination. So I knew that that was like really quite a, a stretch for him. Um, but no, it was just like, you know, it was like, I'll slap you upside your head. You know, if you ever say that again. And I was like, but like, why wouldn't you like, why do you want to go through this? This is horrible. Like I don't have a choice, but you actually have a choice. And I think that that was just like the reality that like we were going to go through something in our relationship that some people never have to face. Mm -hmm. Um, and being together for years and years and years of their lives. And we were going to face that before we ever got married. Um, and that was, you know, that, that was a lot. I mean, you know, we're, we're together now. Well, we'll be almost married now for 10 years, but that hasn't been easy. You know, those 10 years have been rough and, you know, cancer is always in our life from there on out. Like it didn't just happen and then it was over. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So what do you wish people who have never personally experienced cancer or a life altering diagnosis like that in general new, I guess from your perspective or even from your husband's perspective, just from what you've garnered from him, what are, what are things that people should know going into that since the statistics are so insanely and unfortunately high for people's risk of getting cancer in today's day and age? You know, cancer is so much more than what we see on the outside. You know, we see a patient lose their hair or, you know, maybe even appear quote unquote sick for a little bit of time, you know, the eyebrows are gone, the eyelashes are gone, especially if you're undergoing radi or chemotherapy. Um, if you're going through radiation therapy, a lot of that pain and suffering is happening under your clothes. Um, if you have surgery, a lot of those surgeries are happening under your clothes. Um, cancer in general is happening to you emotionally, physically, and, you know, in, in your entire lifestyle. It's like your entire world. So I think it's always hard as a patient especially those that are like metastatic, right? Because they don't quote unquote have that sick look. They have their hair, they've got, you know, they're, they're going to work, but they're on medication every single day of their life. So it's like sometimes like, you know, not to burn out this thing, but like sometimes the struggle is real. Like sometimes that struggle is happening like inside your body, inside your mind, inside your heart. That's not necessarily something that we show the world as a patient, you know, we don't show the world that we're hurting on the inside. And, and that's a lot of what the suffering is. Going along then with hurting on the inside, 
what kind of support do you wish you had had both, I guess, when you were first diagnosed and then throughout your healing process too, because obviously you said you're coming up on this 10 year anniversary. So I guess that's the first part of that. And then also what advice would you give to someone who has someone in their life who was just handed a life changing diagnosis if it's not themselves personally? Yeah, you know, I, I think relationships are always really tricky. Like I was 27 years old. So like, all of my friends were not dealing with cancer right. <laughs> when I was diagnosed, you know, like everybody was like kind of living these happy go lucky lives. And now all of a sudden, like Dana was sick and you know, I, I lost friendships because my friends were like, I couldn't be with you because I thought that you were going to die and I couldn't handle the thought of you dying. And, and so they just wouldn't call or wouldn't text or wouldn't email or wouldn't reach out. And I learned that years later. Like I, I, I realized that cancer happens to everybody around you. And like my advice is, is like do your best to remember that person that you love and care about. Even though that they're sick and they're going through something horrific. Like especially when you're young, right? Like still pick up the phone and be like, if I went out every Saturday night before cancer, like I should still get invited out to every single Saturday night party, you know? But it was like, I wouldn't always go because I was too tired or I was too ill or I couldn't make it out that day because I was just exhausted. Mm -hmm. But it was like, at least your friends, you knew that they were still sitting there thinking of you and like wanting to be your friend and be supportive. Cause like, I didn't want to show up and like hang out with my friends and talk about my cancer. Like I just wanted to be me, you know, I just wanted to keep living my life. Like I already lived my cancer at the doctor's office and in the hospital and in and out of surgeries and on my couch and in my bed. Like I wanted to just go out and be me again. And I think that that's, that takes some effort of the person on the other side because, you know, like if you look at your friend and you're like, oh, you're frail or you're broken or you're not feeling well, or I want to help you, but I don't know how to help you. It's like, Sometimes just calling and be like, how are you doing today? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I saw this new dress at the mall. Do you want me to send you a picture? Yeah, totally. Because I still want to see a new dress at the mall, you know, or whatever. <laughs> so it's just like, I, I think that that's hard because we become a sick patient in the eyes of others. And, and that's kind of a lot of what we struggle with, you know, emotionally saying, how, how do I still be me? But, you know, still live my life at the same time. And now that you're on what I guess might feel like somewhat of another side, does it feel like another side? Or do you think there's always going to be that worry or fear in the back of your head that it could come back? Or is there, is there ever a possibility of detaching from it where you, you yourself feel detached from the diagnosis? Well, I think one of the most staggering and disturbing statistics is that one out of three breast cancer diagnoses metastasize. Mm -hmm. And that's not a great odd when you're already one in eight. <laughs> and now you're, you've looked at kind of like that odd and then you hear one in three and that's so much narrower. Um, and I, I think that that's the reality that for me as a cancer patient, like I think about it every day. Like there's not a day that really goes by that like my cancer doesn't pop into my head at some point in time. It gets quieter. Like the voices calm down over time, but there's still that reality there that, you know, I, I know my risk factor. Like everybody has a different type of breast cancer. Some are similar. Some are radically different from one another. Some people have more of an, of a chance of their cancer metastasizing over others, but 
when you're stuck in that big pool of the population, knowing like, hey, these, these are the types of risks that we're up against, you know, there's always that little piece like, you know, I, I feel it when I haven't seen a friend for a few years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll just kind of they'll be like, oh, hey, how are things? I'm like, oh, things are great. Business is awesome. Like, I love my new house. And I just talk about life. Mm-hmm. And then they, they come at me and they go, no, but how are you? Mm. And I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, did I okay. <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. The, the cancer's okay. Like the cancer's all right. I'm like, yeah, today, today the cancer's fine. Like, it doesn't sound like a pet that you have. <laughs> right. Right. So it's, it's interesting because like you do have to kind of like manage that emotionally because you know, that's coming at you and you got to deliver, you, you got to also be kind in that moment too. Like, yeah, today I'm really good, but like who the hell knows what tomorrow brings? <laughs> <laughs> I really have no idea. I have no crystal ball. And I, and I live my life like that now, you know, I live my life in the moment and for today. And, you know, that's, that's tricky because I have friends that are planning children and planning to send their kids off to college and planning retirements. I'm just like, I want to wake up tomorrow. Like that's a win for me, you know? So it's, it's different. It just puts you on a different playing field than, you know, a lot of your kind of pseudo, you know, or like a lot of your peers, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it seems, I mean, there's so much that you've done since then, which we'll hop into in a hot second. But before that, how do you think your perspective compares to others in the cancer community? Because from knowing what I know about you, it seems like you really kind of made the best that you possibly could have out of a crappy hand of cards and are truly thriving now. But I'm guessing that that might not be the same tune for everybody in the community. So what has it been, oh, absolutely. Like, been like from your perspective? Yeah, you know, everybody has their own path to walk, you know, and, and, I, and I actually think that that, you know, that, that path has, has hills and valleys, right? And, and not only just being Dana and being a community member, but also being an advocate or an activist and an advocate in the space, both personally and professionally, while also having a business that mostly focuses on a, a breast cancer patient and survivor. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of experienced all levels, you know, I I think that there's moments where people are really, really angry and they want to come at you and they want to tell you why they're so angry. Um, there's also a lot of fear, you know, I've, I've had people that have emailed me and messaged me that, uh, they were no longer able to follow me or engage with me or my business because of the work I do with the metastatic community because they're fearful of, of the disease and, and we all should be, but that's exactly the reason why I do it is because I am afraid. I am scared. And if I can do anything, why I'm here today, I want to make a difference. And if not for me, hopefully for the woman that gets diagnosed or the man that gets diagnosed after me, right? Like if not for me, if I can't save myself, hopefully we can save others. And it's such an important thing to, to give away, but there's so many people that are just like, you know what? I'd rather just shut the door on my cancer and pretend it never happened. And I respect that too. Like, I I do think it's a calling to like kind of full your, throw yourself into something full throttle and, and really make it your life's mission. But at the same time, you know, there is a reality that if we don't change the way we're doing things today, we will not progress and get better. This will only continue to get worse. And I think that that's, 
that's what I believe in. But there's so many people that really don't. And, and we do get the stories through Ana Ono and I get them myself personally from, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, and that, and then there's, and then there's incredible stories of hope and inspiration that I also see where other women have, you know, kind of found their calling because of their disease and have started nonprofits and started work and volunteers or changed jobs and like applied their talent to another, you know, to a nonprofit space. So I think that there's like, you know, it, it's complex on a lot of levels and it depends on when you meet that person and where they're at in their path. Absolutely. I want to call out something you just said, though, that listeners should underline in their heads. The fact that you said how scared you were, but you did it anyway, because you knew it was for a greater purpose. And that's just such a commendable thing, because of all things, cancer is freaking terrifying. Like, it's not something that I think anybody is excited to embrace with open arms. And you're here making that choice actively every single day, saying, of course, I'm scared but I'm going to do it anyway. And that's like the definition of fearless basically. So props to you for doing that because I'm sure that that is truly helping you thrive. And it's that really fearless decision that you're making every single day. So kudos to you. Um, and you also mentioned Ana Ono, which is perfect. <laughs> Tell us all about Ana Ono. What is it? What does it mean to you? And what does it mean to the hundreds of women, I'm sure, whose lives have been touched by it because it's such an incredible company that you created? Well, you know, uh, they, they say, uh, you know, every business comes out of, you know, or invention comes out of like your own necessity, right? And that's, and that's really where Ana Ono started. I, I was 27 years old. I got diagnosed with breast cancer. I didn't meet another young woman with breast cancer. I had my boobs amputated from my body and new ones were built in its place. And all I wanted to do was feel like myself. Like I just wanted to feel normal again. Um, cause I didn't, I didn't feel normal. You know, it, you kind of hear this thing when you're a cancer patient, Oh, it's your new normal. Okay. Well you can't wear a bra that fits. Oh, that's your new normal. Oh, I can't get about out of bed in the morning. That's your new normal. Um, right. <laughs> you know? And you're like, you're like, why, why is all of this happening? And I was just like, none of this is normal. Like, this isn't a new normal. This is like not normal in general. <laughs> like, we shouldn't like minimize that. And, and because of that was really why I started um, taking the tools that were in my toolkit, which like being an industry designer, being a fashion designer, studying fashion at Savannah College of Art and Design, making clothes since I was eight years old. Like this is what I, I do. Like this is everything that I am. Like my DNA runs thick when it comes to making and designing clothes. And it was just like, I, I kept going through this morning routine every morning, hating myself, hating my body, dealing with low confidence, trying to figure out how I was supposed to find and identify myself as this new normal, this new Dana, and thinking that I needed to change or like all these things in my life were changing. And I, I just didn't want that to change. Like it was like, why if I had a pretty bra before breast cancer, can I not have a pretty bra after breast cancer? Like why is that one more thing on the list of things to be taken away from me? And, um, and that's really when I started designing bras for um, breast cancer patients and survivors because uh, I, I just wanted to feel good in my own skin again. And, and now it's blossomed into so much more. And I just feel so incredibly 
gracious and honored that um, not just hundreds, but thousands and thousands of women around the world, right, have, have sent us stories and have bought our bras and um, have given us insight into their really incredible and amazing lives as well. That's awesome. And run us through how many different types of bras you create with that. Because I know just from going on your website myself, I was like mind blown. I was like, oh my God, like I didn't even know that there were that many things that could happen that would necessitate that kind of bra. So I feel like that would be really enlightening for listeners to know exactly how many different things can be changed where, I mean, you look at that list and you're like, of course you need a new, you need a whole shop, like exactly what you created. Run us, run us through this, this laundry list of things here. <laughs> Well, I, I have to tell you, I have to tell you, at Ana Ono, we are completely and totally boob inclusive. <laughs> so there is no judgment. If you've got two breasts, one breast, no breasts, or new breasts, we got you. Like, that's, that is um, the, the secret to our sauce. Um, but, but the reason being is because every diagnosis is different and every diagnosis yields a different surgical outcome. Every surgery yields a different outcome. Um, so we're not, you know, cookie cutter anymore. We've, you know, we have different choices to how to deal with our, with our surgeries. Um, women in general and in, in the natural world have different shapes and sizes of breasts. Like, um, I, I think to a patient, it's very extreme, right? So if, if a woman has a lumpectomy, and now has to remove a chunk of her breast tissue um, to get the clear margins around the tumor and then undergoes radiation therapy, um, she could be one to two cup sizes different from the unaffected side to the affected side. Um, some people can keep a healthy breast while others have to remove the diagnosed breast in its entirety. Um, in my case, uh, with my risk factor and with some of the markers I had, like my best decision was to remove both my infected breast and preventatively remove my healthy breast. Uh, we've got, you know, young women now that are identifying themselves as genetically mutated and are undergoing preventative mastectomies in an effort to make you know, to remove the host of where a cancer could start. Um, and, and so all of these are, are different outcomes. You can rebuild your breasts with implants. You can rebuild them with your own tissue. Uh, you can choose to not reconstruct at all um, and just remain flat. But, you know, I, I, I always say to people, just because you don't have breasts doesn't mean that you don't want something sexy to wear. Yeah. Because the breasts aren't what's making us sexy. Like the way we feel about ourselves, the way we express ourselves, like our inner intimacy is what makes us sexy. And the breasts don't have to be there to feel sexy. So, you know, we want to just empower that in ways that, you know, you want to celebrate no matter what that way is. And, and I love knowing that people can really empower themselves with their own bodies and, and really love their own body in the way that it is. Not like what society tells you it should look like. And, you know, if society says two breasts and you want two breasts, then great. But if you don't, don't. Like, it's up to you. You have to live with this body. You know, the people staring at you through your clothing don't live with your body. You do. So. Absolutely. So since your background was in fashion design, did you face any hurdles or roadblocks in launching a business since that very quickly kind of became your new passion and what advice would you give to someone too who has maybe a certain skill set and might might fear stepping out into an unknown territory feeling like they're 
unequipped or unprepared to really paint a bigger picture with this purpose behind it, like what you did with Ana Ono? Well, you know, I have to tell you, I'm probably the worst person to ever answer this question. Because <laughs> I'm like, I tell everybody, I'm like, if you really want a sound decision, I'm probably not the person to call and ask. Because like, I, you know, cancer kicked my safety ladder out from underneath me. Like, there is no safety net. If I jump off the cliff, I go down, right? It's like the fear factor is gone. So for me, it was like, okay, I could launch a business and it could fail. But like, I had cancer. So like, how bad could that suck? Like, I would be upset. I would totally be sad if Ana Ono went out of business. I would be distraught, actually. But I'm still here. Like, you know, I, I, I had cancer and I'm still living. Like, nothing really ever parallels that plateau, right, when it comes to fear. So I think that, I, I, I say that because fear is such a natural thing for so many people that I... I coach so many young women specifically um, and, 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 and early entrepreneurs. And sometimes I'm just like, sometimes you just got to leap because mm -hmm. you don't know what's on the other side, but you've like, and like I said, like cancer took that safety net out from underneath me. So I just leap anyways, because what's the worst that could happen. But I had the opportunity for that to be really removed away from my rational thinking so of course I'm going to go for it where a lot of other people are, are going to weigh the risks and the rewards and yada, 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 yada. I'm like, if you do that, you could do that for years and you're never going to do anything. Exactly. So you do don't know what you years. don't know. Right. And they can do that for years and still wake up with a cancer diagnosis tomorrow or some other diagnosis Absolutely. or a, a diagnosis in your spouse or your best friend or your parent. So I love that you just said that because you had it for, you had the safety net forcibly removed from underneath you, but any, any one of us could have our own imaginary safety nets also forcibly removed. So right. sometimes you just have to remove the safety net yourself and dive in because you really don't know what tomorrow will bring. So I love that you embody that perspective and embrace that for everybody else who might not have had it forced upon them yet, but might need a kick in the pants to remove right. the net. <laughs> there you go. This is your kick. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, how has your perspective on life in general then, I guess, this kind of goes right off of what we just said, but how has your perspective on life changed since your diagnosis and then also since being declared clear? And forgive me if that's not the right terminology, if you're in remission now, but officially 10 years clear in February, I guess, what is, what is that perspective shift? through each of those different phases of, okay, you have cancer and now you don't have cancer, but you could have cancer again. So it's, I mean, that's such a roller coaster of emotions through all of it. Yeah. So, um, so, so I say NED, which means no evidence of disease. Um, and, and that's, that is a, a bit connecting into the words of remission in a way. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's a lot of what we deal with as breast cancer patients and survivors is that, you know, there is this risk that the cancer, you know, was never hundred percent gone and that's when it can metastasize in time. Um, and, and that's that kind of looming shadow that we have as, as breast cancer and, and some other hormonal can cancers. But, you know, I, I think now, um, for me, it's just, it's, it's, I, I really try not to do anything that I don't love. Um, 
And, and I also feel very grateful that I learned that lesson because it has really cleansed a lot of my life in ways that like there was, you kind of don't realize how often you're showing up and like going like, you know what, I, like I, this doesn't make me happy. Mm. Like I didn't really want to go to that party, but I went to that party and I had a really awful time. And now that's like a night I'm never going to get back. <laughs> but you do it because you feel like you were supposed to or whatever, you know, and, and that can go, that can be your friendships, that can be your relationship with your family, that also gets confusing. So there's, there's all sorts of things. But for me, it's like, it's just like living in the moment and like really truly filling my day with something that makes me proud and joyful. And it doesn't happen 100%. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like, I can't write a book or a movie about how every single day and every minute of my life makes me happy. But <laughs> I, you know, I shoot for like a strong, solid, like 80 to 90%, you know, which I feel is a pretty good goal. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think everybody listening should take that as a personal goal, 80 or 90%. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't want to fill up my gas tank to my car, like, go grocery shopping, but Hey, you know, like, I can't win everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. So what was the hardest or most challenging part for you about assigning purpose to your pain to create a company from, I mean, what was probably one of the most traumatic experiences of your life thus far. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that's something that we hear a lot of times like, okay, your pain will be your purpose or it can drive you further in life. But in the moment it can be so hard to sit there and accept the pain and, and figure out, okay, what's my next step productively from this instead of wallowing in it. So what, I guess, was the hardest part for you in, turning it into something that was so productive and positive for so many other people? Um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a great question um, because I think for me, I didn't have a choice. Like it just came to me. Like I knew when I was diagnosed at 27 years old, when I tell you I did not meet a woman under the age of 50, like that's not a lie. Like I met <laughs> one woman who literally turned 50 um, and then the rest were all like 60 and 70 years old. And so I knew that there was just like this huge void of a voice for young women. Um, and, and I felt like if I, if, if I'm kind of strong enough to carry the weight for others, like I, I can't just offload it and say, I don't really need to do that because it, it was such a strong calling to me that almost immediately after my diagnosis, I was out advocating. I didn't even realize that I was at the time, you know, cause this is like uh, before Instagram, <laughs> this, is, this is like when Facebook was your Facebook friends. Um, and so like, it was just such a different world, you know, like you were going out and meeting people face to face and trying to engage others. And I just felt like after I got into that and I started feeling those emotions of like how, when I did eventually then get introduced to another young woman because somebody else introduced her to me, then I knew I was doing something right. You know, I, I knew that there was something I needed to do that was going to be purposeful. And, and even though with Ana Ono, I knew I was going to help others. I didn't know I was going to help to this extent. I just really thought I was going to help women feel pretty again. Like I thought it was going to be that simple. <laughs> Because like, I knew when I put on my bra, like how much better I felt, like how I was standing up taller and how I was, had a better attitude, like all the, like I didn't hate myself anymore. I didn't realize the power of that. Like I didn't realize that that has an effect on people's lives. 
And so like, even, you know, at Ana Ono, I'm like, it's more than a bra. It's actually not even a bra. Like a bra is a vehicle, but I hope that vehicle opens up the door for you to see, oh, you know what? Now that I'm feeling better about myself, you know what? Maybe I am in a bad relationship. Maybe I am in an unhealthy relationship. Maybe I'm treating myself unhealthy. Like maybe I'm doing things because like now I actually feel good about myself again. Like it can really be life-changing. Totally. So how, since you have mentioned having that fear all of the time of, okay, will it come back? Will it metastasize? How do you very tactily push past that fear? on an everyday basis so that you can continue thriving? Is there any sort of mantra that you say or how do you basically meet and greet it in your brain and politely show it the door so that you can continue doing what you are doing in your life? Um, I have probably very unhealthy uh, uh, tactics, <laughs> but I say that because it took me a very long time to figure them out. And um, it took me a long time because every, every, every time I was turning around because of my advocacy work, I was burying a friend. I, there was a moment in time where I was probably burying a friend every month. And I realized that I was learning how to grieve. And I didn't think that that should be a learned skill. And I will never forget running into my neighbor in, in, in the street when one of my dear, dear, dear best friends passed away. And she looked at me and she said to me straight in my face, she goes, you need more friends without cancer. Mm. And I thought she was like the biggest effing bee in the world that she said that to me. Because I was like, who are you? Like, who are you to say that to me? But I think it was her way of saying like, you're really diving in here and you're surrounding yourself and this is going to get really bad for you. But even with that comment, it made me really kind of think about things. I, I didn't stop making friends with cancer patients because <laughs> we're just of a different breed. And I feel like all my friends now are cancer patients. But that being said, it was like, now I, I do understand how to grieve. I know how to grieve. I know what processes I need how to grieve. But when you ask me what I do when cancer pops into my head every day, I kind of put it in a little box in my mind. And I won't lie, like sometimes that box's lid rears its ugly head. And it's like the jack, you know, the jack in the box where you're just winding and winding and winding and you never know when he's going to pop. And then he pops and I have a very depressive moment and I'm sad, but I honor that and I let myself work through those emotions. And then I close the box again and then it goes back on the wind over time. And I think that like, I don't know. So if you have a, a shrink or a therapist that's listening to this podcast, they should probably call me because I'm pretty sure that's not healthy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great analogy. I mean, that's, I'm sure even listeners who don't necessarily have cancer can probably still relate to there's that something in a box in the back of your brain that feels like it's on a wind. And I mean, at least even being able to know that they're not alone in that probably is a helpful tidbit. So <laughs> yeah. And it's okay. You know, like every day is not sunshine and rainbows. You know, it isn't for anybody. Like nobody lives a life 100% of sunshine and rainbows. Exactly. So, you know, if you do, you're probably like on drugs 100% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's the only world where that maybe is like falsely provided to you. But, you know, I do think that that's like that, that is a huge, it's, it's something you have to learn how to do yourself. You know, like I wish I could say I go and run three miles every morning because I would love to deal with my problems like that. I, I just don't can't. run three miles every morning. So. <laughs> I feel like that would be, that would be a better way to deal with things. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, what do you think are the biggest, most common barriers that people in general face to thriving versus simply surviving in their everyday life? Not even necessarily cancer patients, but just people from who you've met in your life. I, I think that that's an awesome question because I think it's multi-pronged, right? But I, I do believe that the core to that answer is yourself. Mm. And so many people will automatically give so much of themselves to others that they start to lose focus on what's really important. And it's only them that's not in a selfish way, but like you can't love others or heal others or be an influence to others if you're not complete first. Absolutely. And we learn that in time. Like you don't know that at 18 years old. Like I thought I knew that in my mid twenties. Like I'm now like knocking on 40 and I'm like, I still don't have me at 100%, but I'm learning like every single time. So it's like to thrive in that moment, like really truly honoring and listening to yourself mm -hmm. and saying, this is what I'm good at. That could be professionally or not professionally or with relationships or without relationships. Um, you know, it's just like, I, I think that that's such a huge, huge thing that we don't talk enough about. Like you really got to have you figured out before you figure out anything else. I love that. And I love what you just said too. You said thrive in the moment because I think people get this grandiose idea in their head where they need to snap their fingers and just have it figured out. But it's so not that it's like people forget that it is this daily choice every single moment of every single day where you have the choice, do I do X or do I do Y? And one will bring you closer to thriving and one will keep you at surviving. And it's like you have to keep choosing that over and over and over again. But that's what brings you from surviving to thriving. And it's not just this magical trans transportation vehicle that you just show up at a place of thriving. It's really something you work at in every single moment. So I love that you called it out as being a momentary <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I want to close by asking you a question that I ask all guests to close things out. And that is, what does thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive in your own everyday life? I mean, thriving to me is really just trying to be the best person, friend, wife, sister, aunt, that, and human being that I can possibly be. And, and I think that that's the true essence of thriving, right, is, is once you can be the best you, like you can really truly help others because somebody needs your hand sometimes too. Like sometimes you got to pick somebody up and bring them into your world and get them thriving instead of surviving. Um, because life is hard. Like mm -hmm. it's tricky and it's complex and it's ugly and that's like the only thing that you have to kind of keep going is making sure that you have like your eye on the prize. I love that. So thank you so much for coming on to the Thrive Podcast. This was awesome hearing from you. And I'm sure that listeners have a whole boatload of information to sink into now. Tell us where people can find you online to stay connected. 
Yeah, so um, obviously you can visit anaono.com, and that's A-N-A-O-N-O.com. And if you ever feel like you can't remember that, just remember it's my name, Dana Donafree, without the double Ds. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so that hopefully will make it stick. Um, and But no, really, on, on Instagram and Facebook, we're, we're all over at Ana Ono Intimates. And then uh, my personal Instagram, uh, where you can follow me for business advice, thriving advice, survivorship skills, um, and tactics is at uh, Dana Dono, spelled D-A-Y-N-A-D-O-N-O. And that's literally because I can't get into my original Instagram account. So (laughs) it's spelled differently. (laughs) Thank you so much, Dana. Wait, before you go, if you like what you just listened to, drop us five stars on iTunes. Make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. And if you're on Instagram, snap a screenshot and share to your story with what episode you're tuning into and tag me at Erica Legenza with what part resonated with you the most. That way I can see what's helping you and your friends can pick up a helpful tidbit too. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.